0: Hey, uh, this morning I'm going to try to start a, a new series that I've entitled Rebuilding Your Broken World. Uh, more specifically, I guess we could call it Rebuilding Your Broken Life. Uh, the world in which we live in is broken by sin. Okay, I'll say that again so you can kind of absorb that and say amen back. The world that we live in is broken by sin. Yeah. The world that is your life and my life is broken by all kinds of suffering and all kinds of weakness. Uh, And I am keenly aware of that today. Uh, All of us have broken pieces to our life. There's not a single person in this room today whose life has not been broken at one time or another. We are broken people. Uh, Whether it's broken by, by sickness or by relationships or by sin of our own choosing, all of us have broken pieces to our life. But but the good news is this. God can fix it. Okay? I'm going to say that over and over and over again in my sermon because it's the very basis of what I'm talking about today. Whatever is broken in your life, God can fix. He specializes in broken lives. And today, if you'll let him, he will fix your life. We're going to open our Bibles this morning to an Old Testament book called Ezra. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in this book learning from some of God's people long ago on how to rebuild our broken world. I'd like to start today by reading Ezra chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. I, I, I thought that, uh, that by now, by 10:30 or 11, whatever time it is, the, uh, the, the words in my Bible wouldn't be so wavy. <laughs> they, were, they were real wavy at 9 o'clock. and, and would, They're still kind of wavy right here, but uh, we're going to do our best, okay? That's all I'm going to tell you this morning. We're going to do our best, okay? Well, this is going to be fun, right? Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And this is what it said. Thus saith king Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, Let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock beside the freewill offerings for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. Then the hands of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem." Shoo! we read it, all right? Now I want to pray, and specifically I want to pray this morning for those of you who are here today whose lives are broken. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts and challenge lives. Lord, I know that there are many people in this room whose life has been broken. Uh, Some of us have, have broken our own life because of bad choices that we've made and sins that we've committed. Others are here today, and by no choosing of their own, their life is in a hundred different pieces. Lord, I know that you love us, and I know that you have a plan for our life. And I know, dear Lord, that you can fix whatever is broken. And we ask that you begin mending broken lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you would take your good fingers and uh, go from Ezra chapter 1 all the way through Nehemiah chapter 13, and you go home and read those passages today in these two chapters, you would read about one of the greatest revivals that has ever happened amongst any of God's people through any generation. It really looked like God's people were down and out. It looked like they were lost for good. No longer good for anything at all. But God had a plan. And let me tell you, God's plan is always a good plan. God had a plan to rebuild their broken world. Specifically, God was going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the centerpiece in the city of Jerusalem, which was the temple of Almighty God. For 70 years or so, that city that was supposed to represent the name of God And the glory of God and the people of God as a witness to the nations was in utter ruin. The Babylonians had come. They had destroyed the city. They had broken down that city in just about every way you could possibly imagine. You see, after King David and his son King Solomon, the nation of Israel began spiraling downward. They begin to disintegrate spiritually and morally. And ultimately, Jerusalem and the temple was demolished. It was destroyed. And thousands of Jews were carried away into captivity as exiles in Babylon. Their world was broken in just about every way you can imagine. So... If you could possibly imagine this morning your world being shattered and broken, well, guess what? Their world was more shattered and more broken. Whatever possible thing you could imagine that would be the worst possible thing that could happen to you happened to them. They literally lost everything. They lost their homes, their vehicles, they lost their jobs. They lost their city. They lost their families. And beyond that, they were carried off into captivity to live their life in a foreign country. Now, I know you are thinking people, aren't you? You're thinking, folks, and you're already thinking to yourself and asking, well, weren't these God's chosen people? Yes, they were. You're wondering, well, did God's plan for their life and their nation fail? The answer is a resounding no. Even in this time of discipline, and that's exactly what they were in. They were in a time of discipline. Okay? God had told them to straighten up. He had sent prophet after prophet preaching to the people and said, hey, if you don't turn from your wicked way, I am going to destroy this city. I'm going to destroy the temple. And I am going to send you into captivity. But they wouldn't listen to the preacher. And so this was a time of discipline for them. But understand this, church. Even during this time of discipline, God is in control. His purposes for His people are being fulfilled. Because here's the good news. God never gives up on us. How about an amen? God never gives up on us. In fact, before they were carried off into captivity, the Lord told them through the prophet Jeremiah that this exile was only going to last for a specific time period. In fact, God gave them the number of years. It was going to be 70 years. Then these exiles would be released to return to their homeland and rebuild their broken world. They would not only return to their homeland, Jerusalem, they were going to have the privilege to return back to God, who through them would rebuild their broken world. Why? Because God never gives up on His people. And that's what's happening in these amazing pages of the Bible in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know what that brings me to today? Maybe maybe you are here today and you are looking at your broken world. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a broken career. A broken life due to an addiction. Maybe you're living in a broken home because of broken relationships. And you, this morning, feel like a great big failure. You feel like a great big zero. Because this has happened in your life. And it wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, none of us ever grow up thinking that our world is going to break, do we? We make all these great plans and we live our life to the fullest, but sometimes our world can break. Listen to me. If that's your world and it's broken, you need to know that God is still in control. He's still in control even when your world is broken by your own sin and your own foolishness. The fact is that all of us live in a broken world. We are surrounded every day by sin and by suffering. But also, we're surrounded by a world that is filled with sin and filled with suffering. And you know what? Living in that broken world with broken lives, it's easy for us to just throw up our hands and give up and quit, and say, what's the use? But you need to understand, God has a plan. And God's plans for us have not failed. God is still in control. He's moving and working to redeem this broken world. That all started 2,000 years ago, when God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, so that our lives which are broken by sin, could be rebuilt. And you need to understand up front, only God can do that. Only God can fix what is broken in your life. We can't do it ourselves. Now we try, don't we? We try. Sometimes we even try to let other people fix our broken lives, but that doesn't work either. We can't do it on our own. Only God can fix what is broken. And God will give you the strength today to start that process of allowing Him to fix your broken world. You see, God has a redemptive purpose. I just kind of like the way that sounds, so I'm going to say it again. God has a redemptive purpose. And if He has a redemptive purpose, then God also has a corresponding plan and if he has a plan God has abundant provisions to fulfill that plan I tell you that's an amen guys wake up back there I may be sitting down but this is good stuff man God has this redemptive purpose and he's got a great plan to bring about redemption but God has also provided a way for it because that's just the way God works. And as you look at your broken life today, or your broken home, or your broken world, you've really got two choices. Either you can believe that somehow, some way, even though you can't see it, yet you still believe it in your heart and you don't know how He's going to do it, but you know He can do it, either you believe that God is still in control, and some way, somehow, He's going to fix your broken world. That's what faith is. Come on. Either you believe that, or you are forced to conclude that the circumstances in this world and in your life are just a sorry mess Randomly spiraling out of control with no reason, no meaning, and no purpose. But, I mean, you got to choose one of the two. You're saying, Preacher, I don't want to be forced into a decision today. <laughs> Sorry. You know, you've got to make that one choice, one of the two. Either God can fix this mess. Or nobody can fix this mess. God let you choose. Now what I'm going to do this morning, just for a few minutes, is go back and and re-look at these, look again at these verses that I've read in Nehemiah chapter 1, and and just show you how truly God is in control. Okay? Because that's the point of the message. God is in control. Are you... Are y'all taking the same medicine I'm taking? That's what I'm wondering. God is in control. And God can fix the mess that we've made of our life. And then when I get to the end of this, I've got three points. All right. So understand when I say point number one, we're almost done. Oh, boy, y'all are tough today. Now, in order to understand what's happening here in Ezra chapter 1, you need a little history reminder, okay? The Babylonians had had come over to Jerusalem and destroyed the city. They knocked down the walls. They destroyed the temple. And they carried the Jews into captivity. They carried them back over into Babylon. Now, that had happened a, a lot of years ago. And during that time, another kingdom had risen to power. It was the Persian kingdom. And the Persians came over and they whipped up on the Babylonians. And they took over the Babylonian kingdom. You know, that's no big deal for that to happen. It happens every Saturday in college football, you know. I mean, last week, the Razorbacks got annihilated, you know. And then this, this week, on Saturday, they came back and did the annihilating. I mean, you know, it just happens that way. Are you all with me? So anyway, the Persians came over, beat up the Babylonians, and now the Jews are in captive to the Persians, and they are under King Cyrus. So what that would be like is this. You wake up in the morning, and you go to work to find out that your company has new owners. Somebody has taken over your company. And now you're freaking out and wondering, will these new owners keep me or let me go? Are they going to be fair to me or are they going to be unfair to me? So you can imagine the surprise of the Jews when they get the news that King Cyrus has this big plan. He wants to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and he wants to release the Jews to go back to their homeland so that they can do the rebuilding. Well, isn't that a kick in the head? Well, what great news. Man, they're excited. Now, before you get this warm, fuzzy feeling towards King Cyrus and think he's some kind of great God, understand God is doing all of this. God is orchestrating this entire series of events. Notice it says that Cyrus did this not necessarily because he was a good guy or that he had some other spirit, political agenda. He did this, according to verse 1, to fulfill the word of the Lord that was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Remember I said earlier that God had told the Jews through Jeremiah, before they went into captivity, that they would be in Babylon and they would be there for a specific time period of time. How many years? Seventy years. Well, guess what? Seventy years are up. And suddenly, out of the blue, God uses this pagan king to say, Hey, all you Jews, you get to go home and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Do you know how amazing this is? This is a God thing. You know what God did? He called his shot. But you don't know what I'm talking about. Have you ever played horse? Basketball horse? Raise your hand if you've ever played. Nope. Do you have the foggiest idea what I'm talking about? You know, horse is a great game to play. Uh, you, you, you make these incredible shots on a basketball goal. But the cool thing is you call your shot. I'm going to climb on top of Brother Will's house and I'm going to shoot a ball off of the roof of his house. It's going to ricochet off the backboard and go in the hole. And if you make it, then the person following you has to go do that same incredible shot. So I was, I was looking through YouTube, looking for incredible horse shots, call your shots, and I found, I found this video that I want you to watch. And the surroundings are somewhat familiar. I don't maybe 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 you know We came to get down, we came to play the game in your town You came to ride the high to this jump, baby We came to guarantee the big cross So if you want all day. people Let them go down this Now tell them about this From the village to the dive for the sense I want to stop we'll shot, living like a kid So turn off the lights, they've been waiting all no night for the The truth The truth The truth The, the-, the- just right through the you well, believe the man They're called the Beast Boys. In fact, they're right here. Would you Beast Boys stand up just for a second? We want to give you a come on, Beast Boys, right there. Now, again, that's enough. Okay, you can sit down. What's amazing? What's amazing, these guys call their shot and and they record it like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna shoot, we're gonna climb on top of Brother Will's house without asking Brother Will, we're climbing on top of his house. And we're going to shoot a basketball and make it. We're going to get in granddad's golf cart and, and do a hook shot over the golf cart and make it while the golf cart's moving. They call their shot and they make it on the very first try. At least that's what they tell me, man, on the very, on the very first try. They, isn't it, but that's pretty cool, isn't it? Calling your shot and making it? Isn't that great? Boy, my medicine's kicking in and I'm feeling good right now. God did it. God called the shot. Said, These people are going to be in exile for 70 years, but don't, don't forget, I'm calling the shot. 70 years are up. I'm going to call you back and let you read them. And God did it. Why? Because God was fulfilling His purposes. And listen to me, it doesn't matter who the king is, whether it's the king of Babylon or the king of Persia. It doesn't matter who the president is. They had a bigger amen in first service than you did in second. It doesn't matter who your boss is. God is in control. God raises up leaders, and guess what? He brings leaders down. God orchestrates circumstances in a way that only He can do it. He raises up nations and He brings them down. And it's all because of His purposes in this world. And God says that Cyrus was inclined to do this for a very specific reason. Look at verse 1b. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. That means that when God got ready for this to happen, he stirred the spirit of this pagan king to do this very extraordinary thing. Reminds me of what my seminary professor once said in class. He said, it is amazing that God can use crooked sticks to bring about his redemptive purpose. And God can. Because he used a pagan king to bring about his divine will. I really think that Cyrus had some kind of sense of what was going on, though, because we read this in verse 2. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Now, we really don't know, and at least I don't think, that King Cyrus was... Totally sold out and totally committed to the God of Israel. More than likely, King Cyrus was just hedging his bets, so to speak. He was polytheistic. That meant that he served many gods. And every time his kingdom would go and capture a different people group, then he would adopt their gods so that he could ha- kind of hedge his bets and have more gods on his side. And so he was thinking, he was. Hedging his own bets. He, he thought he was padding his own bed here. But you need to remember, church, that God is up to something. This is what God was doing. God had a purpose for His people. And that purpose had a corresponding plan to go with it. Cyrus may have thought that he was strengthening his own hand when he moved the Jews to go and rebuild their city. But God was behind it all. This is what God is doing. So, the first mountain had been moved. That kind of brings me back to your problem. Your broken world. Because whatever is broken in your life looks like a mountain, doesn't it? And you don't think there's any way to get around that mountain. It's a big mountain that has messed up your life. That's what these Jews thought. The first mountain was removed. It was removed by God. The Jews can't rebuild the city unless they're freed from captivity. They, they don't think they're ever going to be set free, but lo and behold, they are. Cyrus does that. But now they had mountain number two in front of them. How are they going to rebuild their city and the temple? I mean, they have been in captivity for 70 years. They have no financial means to rebuild. Well, God's going to take care of that one too. God's purpose includes a plan and provision. Unexplainably, Cyrus makes this decree, verse 4. And the people of any place where the survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So here are the pagans living in this foreign land and all of these Jew slaves are around them. And the king says, okay, first of all, we're going to set the Jews free and let them go back and rebuild their city. And the way they're going to do that is that all you hometown people are going to give them as a going-away gift silver and gold and all your livestock. You're going to be the ones who fund the rebuilding of the temple. That's pretty amazing. It was at this point in the first service that I detoured a little bit from my notes because this great thought came through my mind and, you know, while I'm on a roll, I might as well just share it with y'all. See if Angie thinks for the second time I should have kept my mouth shut. But what it reminded me of is that years ago, years ago, one day in the offering, somebody, I don't know who it was, but... One of you put in a lottery ticket in the offering. Have I ever told you this story? Well, if if I if I weren't taking drugs, I wouldn't tell you this story today either. But we we had we had a biz, a, a board meeting that night that Sunday night. We had a board meeting right up here in two, in, in room two ten or whatever room that number that is up there boardroom. I think it is 210 in this building. We actually have two 210s, alright? One here, one over there. Anyway, th- that, that was brought up in the board meeting. Uh, one of the ushers said, well, y'all don't know it, but we had a lottery ticket given in the offering today. And that's what we did. We just sat there. I looked over at Bob Butler, and Bob was acting like he didn't hear it. <laughs> He can do that at times. You know, and the question was, okay, what <laughs> what's going to happen if this is a winner? Well, you all know me. I'm, I'm about as straight laced as straight lace can get. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even believe in playing cards. Try that on for size, people. You know? So I'm thinking we're just going to tear the cotton picking thing up is what we're going to do. good, isn't it? Don Yarbrough is still alive. Don Don's a great man of You know I miss Don and Alice Yarbrough, don't you? Uh, just uh, a few days ago, their son Ricky donated to our church Alice's Baby Grand Piano. We have that in the other room 210, okay, over in the other building. If you haven't seen it, go by and look. Beautiful Baby Grand Piano. Every time I walk in there and look at that, it reminds me of a precious lady, Miss Alice. Don was up in the boardroom in in that meeting, and and, uh, this whole thing came up, and you know, everybody had a little opinion or two, and then finally Don spoke. When Don spoke, people listened. He said, My opinion, the devil's had it long enough. Well, I, I thank God it wasn't the winner. That's what I thank God for. I'm still remember, wondering who gave it. Who? I'm thinking of a lot of other analogies right now, but I'm not going to. I'm not going. But if, but isn't this a hoot? I mean, here here is a pagan king telling these pagan people. We're not only going to free our slaves, but we're going to fund the rebuilding of their temple to their God. Right? Only God could pull something like that off, couldn't He? What an amazing thing. So second mountain has been removed. But you know what? There's a third mountain. The trifecto mountain. Because this is a big problem. You know what? Your problem is big. You probably got three mountains in front of you. What's the third mountain? Well, it, it concerned the hearts of the people of God. But what's going to happen in their heart? Would the Jews rouse themselves to join God in what He's doing? Or would, would, they, would they see this challenge of, of rebuilding their broken world and think, you know what? There ain't no way. That city was destroyed. We can't do it. We can't fix it. There's, there's no sense in even trying. Well, God removed this mountain as well. Look at verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. H- have I said that God is in control? He's in control of this situation. God willed it and it's going to be so. God moved the heart of Cyrus to make the decree. He moved the heart of the Jews to return and rebuild. And God even moved the heart of the neighbors to help out. Verse 6, All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with livestock and with goods and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. You see, church, here's the point. God always finishes what He starts. What He ordains, He sustains. Where God guides, God provides. God is amazing. So listen to me. God created this world for His purposes. God created your body and your life For His purposes. And this world that we live in is broken today because what was originally designed for the purposes of God have been stolen by Satan. The devil has ripped them off. He's the prince of the power of the air of this world. And this world is broken because of sin. And it's the devil that's behind it all. Your body was created by God for His purposes, but sin has hijacked what was designed for God's holy purposes. And our lives are broken because of it. The Bible tells us God had a plan. And that plan included the cross of His Son Jesus Christ. And what has been captured by the enemy has now been redeemed through the power of the blood of the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And He did that to set you free from the grip of sin so that you can live the glorious purpose that He has created you for. That is amazing. So i say it again. God is in control. God is in control. Let me remind you as I close of three ways God is in control. That means that we are almost done. Number one, this is true in eternity. God is in control of eternity. From eternity to eternity, God rules and God reigns. God knows and God has control of everything. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth, the earth, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The Bible reveals to us a God who is all powerful, who is able to do everything that is consistent with his own nature. Listen, he is almighty God. From beginning to end, throughout all eternity, He is in control. The Bible calls Him El Shaddai. It means He's in control. And He is. This is also true in history. Time and time again, generation after generation, age after age in history, the God who is eternally in control has exercised His control over history. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, that is God, does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of this earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Because He's God. (laughs) And He can do anything He wants to do. Look at the word history. Spell it in your mind. You know what history is? It's His story. Spell it out. That's what it is. It's His story. What is true in hi- eternity and what is true in history is also true, number three, for you personally. Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Those who are the called according to His purpose. Notice that this is true for those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. So if you have surrendered your life to God through Jesus Christ, in everything that happens in your life, I mean in everything that happens in your life, God is doing one of two things. Either number one, He is doing good for you, or number two, He is bringing good out of bad that happens to you. But either way, it's a great situation. Because God is in control. You're first on His list. And God is taking care of you. Now, you've got to understand that all of this started when God, in verse number 1, moved on the heart of a pagan king. Get this. God stirred the heart of a pagan. Can God do that? You better believe He can. Because you know what? One time I was a pagan. One time you were a pagan. Pagan just means sinner. And I can can still remember the day when God stirred my heart. Do you remember that day? He stirred your heart you got a hold of your life, and, and you realize that, you know what? My life is a mess, and I can't fix it on my own. But God can. You realize that when He stirs your heart. And then we noticed on down in the verses that, number two, God moved on the hearts of His broken people. God stirred the heart of the church. Well, that needs to happen. And churches all across America today, doesn't it? I wouldn't mind if God stirred our hearts. Can He do that? Better believe He can. So, God is stirring the heart of a pagan king, God is stirring the hearts of His own people. See where I'm going? God wants to stir your heart. In fact he's doing that right now and you, you didn't come here planning on God to stir your heart and maybe maybe right now you really don't want God to stir your heart you ain't got time for that but whether you want it or don't want it, whether you were expecting it or not expecting it, he's doing it because he can. what the Bible says God does. He knocks on the door of our heart. God is not going to impose himself on you. God is not going to bust through your life and do what needs to be done in your life without your consent. He's bigger than that. What he does do Knock on the door. He's knocking on your heart's door right now. Because your world is broken. Your life is messed up. You can't fix it on your own. Only he can. And he wants to do that today. Would you open the door and let him in? Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends who are here today whose world has been shattered. Lord, I know every one of us in this room have broken pieces of our life. And they're just kind of scattered all around us. Broken fragments. Some of these pieces got broke off when we were kids teenagers or young adults, big chunks of our world got broke off when we entered into relationships or a marriage or a family. We're just standing here today and we're looking at all these broken pieces of our world. Now yeah, some of them, some of them are pieces of our own choosing. Because we have allowed ourselves to become addicted to stuff and the things that are destroying our world. But we see that today. We see all these busted pieces laying around us. And we know what the preacher said is true because we've tried to fix it on our own. And we can't. We've even allowed other people to try to fix it for us, and they can't. So, Lord, some somehow, some way, would you get it through our minds this morning that the only way our worlds can be rebuilt is when we surrender our life to you and let you do the rebuilding? And I pray during this time of prayer and this altar call today that many would come forward and ask for help in doing that God there are some of us in this room that have precious people in our life maybe it's a kid maybe it's a relative maybe it's a co-worker their world is fractured God is leading us to come and pray for them today and intercede for them Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do this. Lord, I got—I have one other request, Lord. Tomorrow night we start this new ministry at Kavanaugh that you've been behind and you've been putting together, Celebrate Recovery. And really, Lord, you, you know and we know that that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's about people finding the, the the missing answer to their life's problem. It's you. So, Lord, I pray that there'd be some folks in our church who have a burden for this ministry and are willing to come today and pray for its success. They pray today at the altar that you would bring broken lives to Kavanaugh Church so that they can be put back together. We pray this in Jesus' name.